How is everyone? Doing okay? Good. I was a bit nervous. I thought I'd lost my notes. I did have a situation once where someone actually, one of my friends stole my notes as a joke. It wasn't that funny trying to speak about notes, but they're here. It's okay. Everyone enjoying the Olympics? Kind of. Yeah. Good. I'm enjoying it. One of the most amazing stories for me is the story of the Fijian Rugby Sevens team. They have won the first ever medal. The Fijians won the first ever medal. They got gold in the Rugby Sevens. And it was quite a ridiculous story, really. Robert, am I quite echoey? Am I good? Is it cool? Yeah, good. And it's quite a ridiculous story because the first ever medal for Fiji, it was a bit of a ridiculous story. But what's quite interesting is the coach who, out of just your information, my wife actually knows. So connection that makes me kind of famous, does it not? Yeah? They are friends on Facebook, and you know me, so if you want my autograph after, go for it. But my wife knows him, and he is the coach of the Fijian, and all over Facebook for the last few months, he's been putting, we will win gold, we will win the gold medal, nothing else will do, we will get this gold. And sure to be it, they get the gold medal, they win the ultimate prize. You see, what we focus on, what we put our mind and energy into, what our mindset is built on, matters. I used to play a lot of basketball, and one of the researches they did there was about basketball free-throw shooting. So in basketball, if you get fouled, there's a thing called a free-throw shot where you have to take a shot, and they have like sh certain shooting percentages. And what happened was they got two teams. They got one team where they had to practice for hours and hours a day for a whole week. And the other team weren't allowed to touch a ball for a whole week. They had just to visualize making the shot. They had to visualize the successful shot going through the net. And interestingly enough, the team that scored, sorry, the team that visualized and just did it purely through their minds, had a much greater increase in their shot percentage. What we think about, where we put our mind and energy and effort matters. I had the privilege of meeting a real mentor of mine, a guy called Jim Graham. He's actually preached here a few years ago. He sadly passed away two or three months ago. But he just really had some significant things to say to me just before he was dying of cancer. He, he said to me, Andy, you show me a good leader of a church and I'll show you a successful church. You show me a successful businessman, a great leader, and I'll show you a successful business. The two correlate. Good leadership equals good scenarios, it equals good businesses, it equals good churches. Leadership matters. But what really struck with me was what he said about the mindset and mentality of leaders. That matters. If we have positive attitudes, if we have faithful attitudes, it affects how we live and lead. He was a man, Jim, who was both calm and gentle, but also very courageous. We often see those as almost as polar extremes. He was calm and gentle, but also courageous. But he was a man who was very steadfast and secure in his faith incredibly stable and secure in his faith. His mindset, his attitude, everything about him was built on his faith, a really godly man. And whether we're at university, whether we work for a church, whether we work in a business, our mindset, our attitude, building our life on a life of the truth in God, faith in the Bible, faith in his word, faith in Jesus Christ, is what's going to make us fruitful as leaders. That's what matters. So we need to understand that the mindset, the attitude of a leader is important. And we might think about this in terms of faith, not feelings. What I want to think about tonight is building our life on faith, not feelings. And I'm not just saying that perhaps it, for some of us guys, particularly that 
bring stereotypes or just a girly thing about just resting on our feelings. I'm saying that actually how we respond to anger, how we respond to difficulty, how we use our emotions, yes, they can be good, yes, they can be helpful, but what matters is leading from a place of faith, building our life on faith, on God's truth, on God's word, and not our feelings and emotions. Leadership is important in every sphere of society, but are we going to be leaders who build our lives and leadership on faith, on God's truth, on hope and justice in Jesus Christ? I was challenged a few years ago, I used to coach young people at football who were excluded from school, and it was pretty hairy at times. I remember once picking them up, they were always late, they always stank out my car with cannabis, and we had a friendly match arranged. The whole way there, they call me things like lanky and big nose and really encouraging things like that. And I'm thinking, great, I'm really pleased I gave up an evening for you guys. And we get to the game and the pitch isn't right. They moan about that. The kits are the wrong color. Everything they can possibly moan at, they just complain and complain and complain. And I kid you not, 10 minutes into the game, a big brawl erupts. Like literally, the whole team erupts. I can still distinctly remember a goalkeeper running 80 meters just to get involved in this fight. I just saw him run across the pitch. And there I am thinking, well, I'm the only guy on the sideline. I'm not exactly Hercules, but someone needs to step in and someone needs to get involved. I'm thinking, great. So I'm running over, trying to look the big man. Somehow, by the grace of God, this fight stopped. And after the match, I remember the ref coming up to me saying, Andy, that was a friendly, and you guys have not got any chance in the league. You can't enter a league. You guys aren't up for it. Your attitude is appalling. He said, Andy, I'm nowhere am I refereeing for you again. That was a complete waste of my evening. I've given up an evening for you guys, and that was horrendous. And the other team were like, well, look, we've given up a friendly match for you guys. We're trying to help you out, but there's no way we're doing that again. You guys are idiots. That was a complete waste of your time. They had a go at me, made me feel really small. And my lads, the way they kind of respected what I was saying, they too were like, Andy, you ruined our fight. You broke up our fight, which for them was a big thing. And equally, they were annoyed because I was annoyed, and suddenly, on the whole way home, we're all arguing and bickering. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to do some good here, yet everyone, the away team, the referee, my own team, are arguing with me and frustrating me. I'm thinking, what is the point in this? I'm getting fed up, I'm getting really disappointed, I'm getting despondent with it all. But God reminded me that night, he said, actually, Andy, you just follow what I've asked you to do, and I'll deal with the rest. You build your life on me and I'll deal with the rest. Not how you feel, not how others feel. Don't respond to the emotions and attitudes of others. Build your life on faith in me and I will do the rest. I now look and know friends who are involved with me, these lads still back in Gloucestershire. Two or three of them run a coaching business. They run a sports coaching business. Some of them responded to Jesus. Two of them actually died and I tell you that because if we hadn't shared Jesus with them, would they have had a chance to respond to Jesus? I saw so many cases of hope built on the fact that we were faithful, the fact that we kept going despite the difficulty, despite the attitudes towards us which were just resistant and horrible. The fact that in ourselves everything about us said, let's just give up. This is too tough. Let's just chuck it all in. But we kept going. Are we living by faith or are we allowing feelings to dictate how we live? We're in a series on Moses, and Moses is an Old Testament character, and Kay kicked off the series talking about how God commissions Moses, despite him being inadequate in his speech, despite him not feeling qualified as a leader, he is used powerfully by God, and just saying we're all leaders. However small or inadequate we feel tonight, we are all leaders and commissioned by God. Then we looked at the wilderness, how we need to stick to God in the wilderness, despite the challenges around us, we need to stick to God. Then we looked at the plagues of light and darkness of how the plagues of problems around Moses and the people. We have to keep folks on the light. There is light. There is hope. 
there is glory despite the pain and suffering around us. And then Thomas looked at worship, the importance of worship. I think he just wanted to increase album sales, but he looked at worship and the importance of focusing on God, keeping our minds set on God when things are difficult. And then last week we looked at just persevering through the pain, persevering through the struggle. And today we're near the end of this journey to the promised land. So Moses is leading the people to the promised land. We're in the last year of this 40-year trip. Moses is about 18 hours in the last year of this trip. And I want us to consider what is our life being built on? What is the mindset? Are we building our life on faith, on truth, on Jesus Christ? Or are we allowing emotions of others, the attitudes of others, the reactions of how people respond to us? Is that dictating how we make decisions and how we live? What is leading your life? What is leading your leadership? What is influencing and shaping your leadership? Is it your emotions? Is it the thoughts and attitudes of others? Is it what wider society says is okay? Or is it the truth and hope in Jesus? So you'll turn with me to Numbers 20. Numbers 20. It's on the screen if you've not got a Bible with you. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. So Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, they were kind of key leaders taking God's people to the promised land. And Miriam has just died. Now, there was no water for community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness? But we and our livestock should die here. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. I love this bit of scripture. These guys are literally suicidal over a lack of pomegranates. There is a deficit of pomegranates, and these guys are furious. That is nuts. But to be fair to them, they're also about water, which is a bit more serious. And they realize that if they don't get water, they will die. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to meeting, a tent of meeting and fell face down and the glory of God appeared to them. So we see when we meet with God, when we see God face to face, it leads to us worshipping him, it leads to us wanting to glorify him. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for community so they and their livestock can drink. Notice here that it's a very specific command from God. You do this and you will be given water. Very clear. It's not a possibly this might happen. It's very specific. It's very clear. This happens. You follow my lead and you'll be provided with water. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and the livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he had proved holy among them. I want to just ask three questions tonight. And I want to ask, firstly, are we... Are you allowing others to shape your life and leadership? Are you allowing those around you to shape how you live your life and how you lead? Moses never reached the promised land, and the reason that he didn't is because he made decisions later on in this passage where the emotions and attitudes of others influenced him making the wrong decision. 
We see in verse 2 that people rebelled against his leadership. They turned against him. And therefore he made a wrong decision ultimately. And the people here, God's people, chose to grumble rather than trusting in God. And what they did here is rather than looking at all God had provided for them for 40 years, they looked at what God didn't provide. Look what they didn't have. How often are we guilty of that? Saying, this is what I don't have, this is what I need, God, rather than thanking him for what we do have. And this trip should have taken 11 days, I reckon. It was 40 years on. It was the last year. But what I find fascinating is that they still didn't trust God. After 40 years of him providing for them, they still didn't trust God. I've got a son called Jensen who's two and a half, and he loves food, like really loves food. For breakfast, okay, he has like a big bowl of porridge, a banana, and a piece of toast. That is a lot, isn't it? It's a lot, yeah? He is a chunker, but that is a lot for breakfast. Okay, and every meal, without exception, he says, where's my food? And literally screams so he gets his food. It's a bit like that with God's people here. God's provided them for 40 years, yet they're still complaining, where is the food? God's people are getting irritable, they're getting grumbly, they're frustrated. And then they start to look to blame the leaders. How often do we, rather than taking responsibility ourselves, look to project our frustrations, our leadership issues upon Carl who leads his church, upon the person who leads our business? It's very easy to grumble and complain rather than allowing our own responsibility to take a lead at sorting things out. We project our frustrations, our responsibilities upon those in leadership. And then ultimately, a real strategy of the devil is they look to quit. The people now are so frustrated, they're so angry, they're looking to quit. We see in this passage that they said, we wish we were still slaves. It was better if we were still slaves. And it's even said, we wish we had died. We wish we had died back there because that would have been preferable to where we are now. These people are grumbling and Moses succumbed to their frustrations. The people didn't allow their own responsibility for their leadership, and they projected their frustrations onto Moses. And Moses eventually got worn down and gave in and made bad decisions. He chose to follow the thoughts and actions of others rather than the faith in God and the instructions that God gave him. We see later in this passage, he did not follow. His leadership was shaped by the expectations and the attitudes and the pressures from others rather than his own lead from God. He followed the feelings of others rather than his faith. A few years ago, when I was 19, me and some other guys took a youth group down to Chester. And I kid you not, it was literally like the worst week of youth work you can imagine. Someone genuinely almost died because of like some food eating competition that some idiot suggested. Literally, they genuinely almost choked to death. It wasn't particularly funny. It was pretty uncool. But in hindsight, it's quite funny, I guess. <laughs> and we, the guy who headed up the project met with us. And about six months after, and he literally had like three or four sheets of A4 of all the things we did wrong that week, of all the mistakes we'd made. It's like a massive list. We're like, man, this is bad. One of the stories, there's quite a few. Some of them aren't really for this kind of audience. But one of the things that happened was we got the young people out. We said, guys... We're just going to go outside and meditate and pray. We're just going to spend time just in God's presence. Sit back, close your eyes. Just reflect in God's glory. When as leaders, we went in the building and locked them out for two or three hours. And we were literally stuck all night. Honestly, so many bad things. That is like the least of the stories we 
We've got, got them sort of eating their own vomit and food, eating competitions and all sorts of really ridiculous stuff. But what was really key is the whole week was a disaster. God did move, of course he did, but it was just quite a messed up week. And the reason it was a messed up week was because we didn't lead it particularly well. And the reason we didn't lead it particularly well was because we were frustrated and annoyed with the leadership of a program. And rather than taking responsibility ourselves to say, let's make this a good week, let's show a good attitude and perspective, we made it worse and just said, how many stupid things can we do in a week? We let the main leader hit all four of his tires down in his car, so he was like stranded for a day when he was meant to be speaking at an event. Honestly, it was terrible. But are we allowing the leadership and frustrations and others dictating our leadership? Or are we saying, actually, the truth of a word, my faith in Christ is what dictates how I lead and how I live? Are we taking responsibility for our own life and leadership and not allowing others to influence it? The second question I want to ask is, are you allowing your emotions, your feelings and attitudes to shape your life and leadership? In verse 10, we see that Moses was angry. And when we're angry, we really have three responses. The first one is, it gets embittered inside us. It builds up and resentment builds inside of us. And you see it, there's pain and suffering that's not dealt with. It builds up, it just corrodes us inside. The second option, I've seen this time and time again with young people, is I've been hurt, I'll take it out on someone else. My life's been rubbish, therefore I will hurt and abuse someone else. It's cyclical. Or the third option is we take it to Jesus, we take it to the cross. And maybe tonight for some of us, we need to later on take our angers, our frustrations, our negative emotions to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me, forgive me, heal me. And Moses was angry. His attitude was poor. Yes, people were worn down. Yes, people were angry with him, but his attitude was poor. He gets frustrated with his people. And we also see he tries to rush ahead. He tries to rush ahead. That's another mistake he makes. God says to him very clearly, you speak to the rock and water will come out, but he taps it with his staff. He doesn't follow God's exact command. He tries to rush ahead. Are we trying to force a move of God? Are we trusting his pace? God always knows best. And we also see here that yes, Moses turns to God, and all good leadership, all excellent leadership rests with a turn to God in worship and saying, God, you show me. And God speaks clearly to him about where he should go. But the mistake he makes is he doesn't follow the exact instructions of God. There's almost no point in turning to God if we're not going to listen to him and do exactly what he requires of us. He allowed his anger, his frustration, his bitterness to dictate his leadership rather than the truth instructed to him from God. God gives him instructions, but he has to follow God's lead. One of the best films I've seen for years is The Imitation Game. And it's set in World War II. And... What happens is these kind of nerds, these geeks, spend hours upon hours trying to crack the code. They realize that there's a code that the Germans are using to signal where the boats, the bombers will go. And they spend hours and hours, and these are literally billions of options, these codes. They realize if they crack these codes, they can intercept these bombers and therefore stop literally millions of lives being killed. And they can eventually win the war. So they spend 16-hour days trying to crack these codes, just relentlessly, just desperate to crack these codes. And if they don't crack it by midnight that night, then it restarts itself the next day. So they keep going, trying to crack these codes. And eventually, one of them, using a thing called Enigma, cracks it. And it's incredible, because they save literally millions of lives. And it's an amazing scene where they've cracked this code. 
And they realize now that they can intercept the messages of the German bombers and therefore interfere with the war and ultimately win the war. And we have to keep this a secret for 50 years. It's a remarkable story. But what really struck me is a scene in the film where one of the guys, he realizes that a ship is heading towards one of his relatives to be killed. And he realizes now that he can intercept. He knows that his relative is on that ship. He says, well, if I can let the captain of that ship know, we can stop that death happening. I can stop that person being killed. And he's like, right, I'm going to make that call. I'm going to let them know. And the other guy said, they said, no, you can't do that. You can't allow that to happen because if you intercept it too early, it'll be very clear to the Germans who've cracked the code and therefore they'll reset it all and they won't be allowing signals to come through that we can intercept further. So they wrestled and they argued and they had a real fallout and eventually this guy realises for the sake of the greater good, he has to allow his ship with his own relative on it to die. He realises that despite everything about him, Rightly so, he was emotional. Rightly so, he was really upset and angry. Rightly so, he did not want his relative to die. But he had to make a decision based on what was right, what was a good response, rather than what his innermost thoughts were saying. And sometimes with God, we have to follow his lead, we have to follow his command, even though everything about us is saying, I don't want to do that. I don't want to make that decision. I don't want to do that because that is hard. That goes against everything I stand for. But I know it's right. I know it's right. This is God's command. I'll follow his lead. We have to act with our faith and what Jesus commands us, not with our feelings, not with our emotions. We have to say and do what is right. We have to make the right decisions. Are you allowing emotions, feelings, and attitudes shape your life and your leadership? Or are you allowing faith in Jesus, faith in his word, faith on the cross to dictate how we live? And the last thing I want to ask is, are you allowing society, the world around us, to shape your life and leadership? Are you allowing the world around us to shape how you live and you lead? So Moses had a staff and it indicates that he was a shepherd of the people. So the shepherd would have a staff to knock the sheep in line to pull, like a hook to pull the sheep out of difficulty. And he had a staff to indicate him being a shepherd. And it was the same staff that he used to part the sea, the same staff he used to command the plagues. It was used throughout his life. And what he did is he started to tap the rock twice rather than speak to it. God makes it really clear in this passage, you speak to the rock, it will gush out water. But he says, no, 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 I've got to tap on the rock. And it reminds us we need to be ruthlessly obedient to what God asks us to do. God made it a really clear instruction to him, but he followed his own ideas. He followed the pressures of those around him rather than following the exact instructions of God. And there's two things he does wrong. It's first of all, God gives him a command, gives him instruction, and he goes to the people to hear their thoughts and to wrestle with them. Rather than following exactly what God's asked him to do, he goes to discuss with the people and to almost dialogue with them. God doesn't want us to compromise. If he gives us instruction, he doesn't want us to compromise with society, compromise with the world around us. He wants us to make a decision based exactly on what he's asked us to do. He went to the people before the rock. He should have gone to the rock first. And he also tries to meet the people and God halfway. Sometimes being a leader is about being ugly. It's about doing the right thing for God. It's about standing against what society says is okay. Standing against what the world around us says is okay. But we have to make a stand. We cannot try and meet God and people halfway. If God gives us instruction, we follow that wholeheartedly. If we have to stand up for something, we follow it wholeheartedly. We don't try and meet God and the people halfway. In verse 12 and 13, we see that God's holiness 
is really important. He doesn't want to be compromised. He doesn't want us to try and meet the world we live in and God halfway. He wants us to follow his exact instructions. We see here that Moses' key failing through this passage is he did not trust God. Wow. I think it's okay. Don't worry. You okay? Right. Sorry if that's your laptop. It wasn't me, but sorry on the behalf of the church. So Moses was worn down. He was angry. People were being frustrated with him. People were having to go at him. He was bitter. He was enraged. Life was difficult. Life was messed up for him. We get that. But we see in verse 12 and 13 that his key failing was he did not trust God. He acted on impulse. He did not fully follow the instructions of God. When we're tired, when we're worn down, when we've had a bit of a battering, are we still going to follow the life and direction of God? I just want to finish by saying the last year or so, for a whole variety of reasons, has been quite a tough year for my wife Adele and I. It just really has. And it's not the place or the space to just tell you why or what's happened, but it's, it has been quite tricky. And it's also been quite tricky for some of youth workers, so sometimes you have to turn up to events and go, wait, let's play Uno. But actually, things aren't always that great behind the scenes. But it's been a real lesson to us to really work at how we respond in these situations. Are we acting on the feelings of those around us? Are we acting on the pressures on society and frustrations from others? Are we allowing our emotions, our anger inside of us to lead how we lead, or are we allowing God to dictate how we lead? I have to trust that God's timing and God's answers are right. If I had my way, I'd be married to Britney Spears now. That wasn't God's plan for me, okay? We have to trust that he knows what's best for us. We have to hold to the faith statements. Me and Adele have wrote down 10 things we're praying for. And as it stands, not one of those prayers has been answered. But we have to hold to those and say, God, stick with us. We believe you will answer these prayers. Time and time again, I've sung a song called It Is Well, which talks about no matter what is going on around me, no matter how difficult life is, we trust God that he will provide. We trust God that he will provide our portion. He will give us all we need. We trust that he knows us. He knows us well. We have to live from a place of thanksgiving and saying, actually, God, despite some of the pains and frustrations we have, we will praise you and we will thank you. We will love you and worship you. We have to keep going and just trust that God knows what he wants for our lives. We have to say sometimes that despite what we're feeling and how we want to respond to situations, we have to say what is right and what is true of God. Throughout these 40 years, Moses and his people have embraced the wilderness. And my challenge for us tonight is are we going to embrace the wilderness? Are we going to embrace those times which are challenging and tough? Israel literally means the struggle. The word Israel means the struggle. It was a challenge for them. It was a difficult time. Why are you going to allow the society, the world around you to mould how you live and lead? Are you going to allow pressures and those colleagues at work who want you to live in a different way? Other students who've got alternative things for you to do in college and you say, no, 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 I'm going to stick to what I know is right. Are you going to ask God what he wants to teach you? Are you going to say to God, actually, despite what's going on around me, what are you trying to teach me? What do I need to learn through this situation? Are we living by faith in God and saying above and beyond everything else, I will wholeheartedly live my life for you. I'll give everything I've got for you. I'll follow you no matter where that takes me, no matter what it costs, I will follow you. And it's great tonight we have two baptisms because that is a declaration saying, 
no matter what this costs me, I will follow you, Jesus. It will be tough. It will be challenging, but I will pin my nails to the cross and follow you for the rest of my lives. The amazing thing about Moses is he never reached the promised land. But we see him in the New Testament in the transfiguration. He meets Jesus face to face. What a statement from Jesus. What a statement from God that despite this failing, despite this muck-up towards the end of his life, the redemptive power of Jesus allows him to meet with God and to have God's forgiveness and to ultimately meet Jesus face to face. And for us, that's reassuring because no matter what we're going through, no matter how many times we've mucked up, no matter how faithless we feel, we can turn to God and say, God, I want to pin my nails to the cross. I want a second chance. I want to give it a go tonight. Why don't we stand just as the band come up? Why don't I just pray for us so we just lead into a time of worship? Lord, we pray for your forgiveness and healing where our emotions, our attitudes, our anger, feelings of those around us have dictated how we live and lead. Where we haven't trusted you 100%, we haven't trusted you wholeheartedly. We pray for forgiveness, we pray for healing tonight. And we pray that you'll breathe faith across us. Whether this is our first time to church or whether this is our hundredth time, we pray that you'll breathe faith and life and hope into us tonight. And where we know, Lord, that we have made decisions or we've done things where it's more about our attitude, more about what we think is right than actually what God instructs us to do, we pray that from now on we will turn to you and trust you and take those steps of courage where we need to. Holy Spirit, come and move amongst us tonight, we pray.